I always forget, usually when I'm up here, uh, we have an online presence. I usually forget to say good morning, to let them know we know you're there. We know you're here with us. So I just wanted to acknowledge them, uh, whether they're on the phones or whether they're on Facebook or YouTube. Um, we broadcast and I uh, just wanted to acknowledge you all this morning and say good morning. And um, we know you're there. We know you're with us. I don't know if you've ever experienced a pastor or a preacher uh, preaching from the book of Numbers. I'm going to preach from the book of Numbers this morning. So uh, this morning I would like you to join me with the Israelites. Um, maybe in a, a little bit of, of pretend mode. Join me with the Israelites on the plains of Moab, east of the Jordan River, at the close of 40 years of wandering, shortly before the death of Moses and the crossing of the Jordan River. That's our setting this morning. The Israelites have already defeated two kings in the Transjordan, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan. That caused King Balak, king of Moab, to be alarmed, to, to be concerned. He sends elders of, of Midian uh, and his uh, Moabite messengers to Balaam, our prophet for this morning, son of Beor, to induce him to come and curse Israel. Balaam sends back word that he can only do what Yahweh commands. Um, Balak and Balaam go back and forth a few times. Uh, there's three oracles or prophecies before the one that I'm sharing with you this morning. Uh, and Balaam eventually gives this fourth prophecy. And boy, all that Israel has been through. You need to hear these words. So we're in Numbers chapter 24, if you wanted to follow along. Numbers chapter 24, verses 14 to 25. Numbers 24, 14 to 25. So now I'm going to my people. Let me advise you what this people will do to your people in the days to come. What Israel is going to do to Moab. So he uttered this oracle saying, the oracle of Balaam, son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is clear, the oracle of the one who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down, but with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the, crush the borderlands of Moab 
and the territory of all the Sheetites. Edom will become a possession. Seir will a possession of the enemies, while Israel does valiantly. One out of Jacob shall rule and destroy the survivors of Ur. Then he looked on Amalek and uttered his oracle, saying, First among the nations was Amalek, but its end is to perish forever. Then he looked on the Kenite, and he uttered his oracle, saying, Enduring in your dwelling place, and your nest is set in the rock. Yet Cain is destined for burning. How long shall Asher take you away captive? Again he uttered his oracle, saying, Alas, who shall live when God does this? But ships shall come from Kittim, and shall afflict Asher and Eber, and he also shall perish forever. Then Balaam got up, went back to his place, and Balak also went his way. On the eve, on the eve of the final death of the old wilderness generation of the Exodus, it's where we're at upcoming is is Numbers and the beginning of a new generation in in Numbers 26. Here in Numbers 24, God confirms the divine commitment to bless Israel through some of the most lavish words of blessing and the promise in the entire Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Moreover, God speaks these words of blessing and promise not through an Israelite, but through a foreign prophet. As Hobab, the Midianite, had joined God in guiding Israel, as back in Numbers chapter 10, Balaam, the prophet, joins God in blessing Israel. We know, though, Israel's story. Israel had wandered 40 years in the wilderness. 40 years. 40 years because they were not faithful to their covenant with God. 40 years, an entire generation. Here are some, here are some of Israel's rebellions in the book of Numbers. This is chapter 11, verse 1. And the people complained about their hardships, and the rabble among them had greedy desires, and said, who will give us meat? And chapter 12, verse 1. And Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. In chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. And all the community raised their voice and grumbled against Moses and Aaron. 16, verses 1 to 3. And Korah with Nathan and Abraham with 250 leaders of the community rose up against Moses. 16, 41. And the entire community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. 
chapter 20, verse 3, and, and the people quarreled with Moses. And the last one, Numbers 21, 5, and the people spoke against God and Moses. Now, now contrast that. All those grumblings, all those rebellions with the ways in which God guides, gives hope to Israel throughout those 40 years. He guided the Israelites by a pillar of fire and cloud during the day. A pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. I'm sorry. He sent an angel who engulfed the Egyptian soldiers in darkness to delay their attack on the Israelites. He gave them priests to be intermediaries between them and God. He split the waters of the Red Sea to create a dry path for the Israelites to path to, to pass. He punished the Egyptian soldiers who were pursuing the Israelites by drowning them in the Red Sea. God changed bitter water into, into sweet waters for the Israelites to drink at, at Morah. God provided manna and quails as food for the Israelites when they were hungry, healing those who were, were bitten by snakes. God assisted the Israelites to defeat the Amicalites. Am- Am- I can't even say it. He provided them with strong leaders like Moses. God gave them Ten Commandments to guide them on their relationship with him and with one another. God is for them. God is with them. All along the way, step by step, providing, giving. And they rebel. And they take some time and they need to be returned and come back to God. And they rebel. And they take some time and they return and they come back to God. Cycle. Israel's come to this place where it's coming to the end of its desert journey here in Numbers 24. Coming to an end of wandering in the wilderness. Coming to the end of this of this cycle. Israel's rebelled against God time and time again. And God's lavish grace continues to provide because God is so desperate for his people. I love those songs that we worshipped too earlier. The way maker, promise keeper, Here in Numbers 24, Israel is reminded of the promise of God. They're reminded of hope, the hope of the promised land. Balaam gets up and says, hey, you've defeated so-and-so, you've defeated so-and-so. Now, you know what? We're working on Moab. Here we are in the plains of Moab. I am convinced by their own choosing 
Israel needed to wander in the wilderness. They needed to wander in the desert to get their relationship right with God. God would not have let them, God would not have permitted them to enter the promised land until really the old rebellious generation died. A whole generation of rebelling. What is Israel, the people of God, in Numbers 24? Being on the precipice of God's promise have to do with us here July 10th, 2022 in Mifflinburg, Pennsylvania. While Israel needed to wander in the wilderness, had just said it was by their own choosing. It was their own rebellion. They were choosing themselves over choosing God, choosing to trust God, choosing to follow God. They take their eyes off of God. They left their right relationship with God where he communicated through Moses his desires and his wants for his people and they grumbled and complained. I think we do the same. I've done the same. We choose rebellion We choose to take our eyes off of God. We choose not God, and we think of ourselves. Now, the the teens have heard some of Pastor Shane's testimony. I want to share a little bit with you all this morning. Um, Pastor Shane did not grow up in the church. It was a journey. Um, I remember, I believe, and my fact checkers are here, my mom and my dad, but I believe it was when I was between the ages of 10 and 12. Uh, we did go to the church, go to church. It was at the request of my grandmother, uh, kind of as a passing wish, I think. Um, but all I have to say, I didn't grow up in the church. Um, And what I had experienced of the church up until that time uh, seemed a little scary. Um, Fast forward to middle school, high school, a good friend of mine who's a pastor at a a church in our area invited me to a a Nazarene youth event called the Big Orge event. Um, It was at Mount Bethany Gun Club. Some of you are members. Um, The rest is really history but there's part of my testimony in my high school years where junior year, I don't know, it's still the case, junior, senior prom. Uh, junior year, I was invited. It was, it was the night of prom. I was a junior. I went, um, experienced prom, experienced the world. But I, I was also involved with church heavily, uh, went to everything I could, but I went out to my friend's house. Uh, I've, I've known them since before kindergarten. Uh, my mom babysat for them. 
I was, I really lived under a rock. Uh, I got out there, I was just told it was a bonfire. How naive am I? Uh, I get out there at the time, no phone, I could not drive, um, had gotten a ride, I was picked up by some friends. Um, and you know what teens do, they tell their parents one thing and they're going to do another. Um, there was alcohol there that night. Uh, I remember being by a tree and over at the fire, all that, all that stuff was going on. And I remember praying. I don't know if it was a really heartfelt prayer, but I, I didn't know what to do. Everybody was becoming more and more intoxicated. Um, and the pressure ramped up as the evening went on towards myself. Oh, come on, Shane. Just have a beer. It'll be great. Uh, I eventually caved. Uh, became intoxicated that night probably for the, for the very first time. Um, almost fell in the fire pit. A whole bunch of different things happened that night, but I, I share that story to say that it set up a trajectory for my senior year. My senior year, I will confess to you, I lived a completely double life. I had my church world, Shane was a student leader. Shane was the cool kid in youth group. Well, not really cool, just well-liked by everybody. Um, I went to everything I could. I helped out with everything that I could. But it was senior year. It came around to graduation parties of friends. And you say, oh, at this point I could drive. Took me three times, but I could drive. <laughs> Don't hold that against me. I'm a good driver. <laughs> uh. <laughs> you tell your parents one thing and you do another. I forget the reasonings or whatever. I was telling my parents where I was going, but I was going to friends' houses, a lot of them, uh, to graduation parties to consume alcohol. To become so intoxicated, couldn't really remember what transpired. Remember having a football buddy, uh, he was mixing alcohol and marijuana and um, I think that inhibits you enough where uh, he didn't really pay attention to what he was doing and he was super close. A lot of us were fearing that he was close to alcohol poisoning. And then there was summer retreat. You know how my story started at Mount Bethany? 
summer retreat. My senior year, before I'm getting ready to take off with a small group of people to Romania, we have summer retreat. The Friday night worship is playing, and God got a hold of me that night. I had a holy, sacred encounter. God drew me away from the group. I don't even know what the worship songs were. I don't know what the speaker was speaking on. I knew God was drawing me. I fell to my knees between the two church vans with an internal battle going on inside of me. God was telling me, either choose me or choose the world. Choose me or choose the world. I yielded to God that that night. I said, God, I'm tired of living a double life. I'm tired of being one way and to these group of people and then being one way to another group of people. And I remember vividly in my mind, especially after that junior, senior prom when I was a junior going to school and you know what was then said about me? Oh, the goody two-shoes Shane. You were at that party after prom. You were drunk. It hit me like a sack of bricks. I ruined my witness. I ruined my witness at that point in time with my classmates, with my peers. God forgave me that night on my knees between the church vans, sobbing like a little baby, telling him, I I don't want to do this anymore. I want you. So that night also, God reaffirmed my call. I later, I think a few weeks later, took off on a transatlantic flight to Romania and had an awesome experience. Israel was delivered from the bondage of slavery out of Egypt. They thought that was nice. That was nice. We don't have to put up with Egypt anymore. They began to take their eyes off of God. I took my eyes off of God. God would then show compassion and grace to them. And there was a cycle. The reasoning behind all the wandering and moving around in the desert in the wilderness. God had God wanted all of them. He wanted their full trust. Church, I hope we don't get lost in thinking and in a rebellion way of thinking that the purpose of our time here, please hear my heart, 
I don't want to rock the socks of the older generation. But I hope we don't think our time here on earth is about getting saved and sanctified and simply looking forward to our time in heaven. We get stuck in the mentality of wondering, where is our promised land? Where is God's promise for me? Is that heaven? We work day in and day out. We live life day in and day out. We feel like, what difference am I making? Is God really working through me? I feel like God isn't even active in my life at all. We live day in and day out wondering where God's promise is. Where are you, God? There's a late, I'm sure, we're wondering the same thing. Day in, day out, wandering in the wilderness, wandering in the desert of Egypt, or next door. Israel missed out so many times. God's grace and compassion turned to them so many times. God wanted them to trust, he wanted them to trust him, to follow him. He provided every step of the way. Church, we are on the other side of the greatest promise of God. We're on the other side of the cross. We're on the other side of the resurrection. We're on the other side of the ascension. We're on the other side of the gift of the Holy Spirit. God's still providing. God still desires and yearns for his people to encounter him, the living, breathing God. God wants us to nurture you know what the word nurture is. God wants us to nurture our relationship with him. He wants us to tell others what he has done for us. Now, I'm a little bit dressed down this morning. I've already received a couple comments about preaching in a t-shirt. If you've been here for a while, I have preached from a, in, a, in a t-shirt before with the word peculiar on it. This morning, I have a different phrase on my shirt. Phrases get used to different. I have a, a short video clip uh, for us all to watch at this time, and hopefully... It'll work and it'll connect in. You see the Parthian foot races last night? Darius ran like a gazelle. Jews don't go to foot races. Your old friend Simon himself used to run the wagering tables. We're not friends. Next. Okay, fine. So you did not go to the races. You stay home? I went to see my mother. Ugh, that would put me out, too. 
She asked when you're going to give her grandchildren? She didn't ask. I thought your parents don't speak to you. I had questions I couldn't ask anyone else. A mother of a son with talent like yours should be proud. She's ashamed that I could use the talent that God gave me against God. Next. You're good at something. You found a way to make a living doing it. It's that simple. Must be nice to live in a world so simply ordered. We live in the same world, Matthew. Next. Besides, what else are you going to do with a mind like yours? Matthew. Matthew, son of Alpheus. Yes. Follow me. Me? <laughs> yes, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy has done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to you. What are you doing? Where do you think you're going? Guys, let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're going to throw it all away. We passed by your booth today, Matthew. Yes. Shall we? We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. What's the tablet for? I grabbed it without thinking. You can put it back. No, no, keep it. You may yet find use for it. Where are we going? A dinner party. I'm not welcome at dinner parties. Well, that's not going to be a problem tonight. Israel stood on the precipice of their promise. We don't know is right after chapter 24 and chapter 25, Israel rebels again. One more time before they enter the promised land. Got to get one more rebellion in there. We, we don't have to stand unless we choose on the precipice of the promise. Because you see, 
This is a, a dramatization from the chosen of how Jesus might have called his disciples. <clears throat> this, one, this one was Matthew. Um, but I want, what I want you to hear and what I want you to see is, is, is I'm the different. Well, Pastor Shane, what do you mean by that? I am right there with Matthew. And, and Peter, the, the other character, there was all the, the current disciples at that particular time were there, but the one Peter was, was talking with Jesus, and he's like, do you know what he has done? Do you know what Shane has done? But get this. Did you see it? Did you see it? Did you see Jesus? It gives us an example. Jesus, he squares off with us. He looks at us in our eyes. He says, Shane, son of Roy and Rhoda, come, follow me. Put in your name there. Put in your parents' names there. To hear Jesus calling you as he squared up with you. I could go throughout the room if, if I, I was thinking about this and it's like, boy, I don't know that I could even do it because I don't know everybody's parents. Tyler, son of Mike and Nikki, come, follow me. You just hear those words of Jesus. We don't have to wait for the promise. He's coming to us. He's stepping into our rebellion, into our mess, into our... He's right there waiting. Your ministry, my ministry, in this church, in our community, is useless unless our relationship with Jesus is the closest relationship that you have. Your work for God is foundationless unless you've built your core foundation on God. Church, it's the uttermost importance with the day and age in which we live. We need to be close with God and close with one another. We need unity. Unity with God, unity with each other. Israel had to wait in the midst of their rebellion, and they went for a record of 40 years. 
40 years until the promised land. An entire generation missed out. I wonder what would have happened. And I can't, you can't really do the what ifs. If they would have just listened and followed God, would it really been 40 years? But God demonstrated how desperate he was for right relationship with Israel. He shows us how desperate he is for right relationship with us. Dramatized and helped out by the chosen. He looks at us with the look that only Jesus could give and says our name. Son of our parents, come follow me. We're the different because he enters into our rebellion, enters into the things that we think God can never forgive us for. We don't have to wait. Jesus stands right in front of us. And he calls. Are you first and foremost nurturing a vibrant, intimate, discipling relationship with Jesus? So, here's a, here's a contemporary psalm, even though it's a popular song you might hear if you're listening to WGRC. It's by 10th Avenue North. I'm just going to read it to you. Listen to these words. Here I am, all my intentions, all my obsessions. I want to lay them all down. In your hands, only your love is vital. Though I'm not entitled, still you call me your child. God, you don't need me, but somehow you want me. Oh, how you love me. Somehow that frees me to take my hands off of my life in the way that it should go. God, you don't need me, but somehow you want me. Oh, how you love me. Somehow that frees me. To open my hands up and give you control. I give you control. I've had plans, shattered and broken. Things that I've hoped in fall through my hands You have plans to redeem and restore me. You're behind and before me. Oh, help me to believe. God, you don't need me. But somehow you want me. Oh, how you love me. Somehow that frees me. Take my hands off of my life in the way that it should go. And that continues on. There's a psalm of letting go of control. Getting things right with God. But it's his plan. But it's his purpose. That he desires relationship with us. We need to make sure that it's the most important thing that we do each and every single day. I want to shift gears 
this morning. Eight years ago and some odd months, probably eight years and a couple months, uh, I was sitting in my little apartment beneath an awesome elderly Nazarene couple who basically became my adopted parents while I was uh, the last two years of my time in seminary. I was sitting there and I'd gotten a phone call. What you need to know if you don't, as I used to live in New Berlin for a short period of time, and from that time, I don't know why, but I remembered that uh, the area around here, the no, it's 570-966. Well, I got a phone call. It was a 570-966 number, and I was like, why is somebody calling me from back home? Like, I think I just thought to myself that way. Um, a little bit of the backstory there was, that was a very desert-like time for me. I was pretty much finished up with seminary. Maybe what you don't know is there was a lot of unhealthy things happening at Nazarene Publishing House that I was smack dab in the midst of uh, with some things that the leadership was doing, some things that new leadership were doing. We went in day in and day out not knowing if we had a job. Uh, It's very, believe it or not, venomous work environment. I get this call. I remember not answering it. I was like, well, if it's important, they'll leave a message. It was, uh, it was Pastor Wayne. Uh, it was a God thing. Like, I was praying, God, get me out of here. I don't care, (laughs) mom and dad's here, but I don't care if it's back home. I don't care (laughs) if it's in the Arctic. (laughs) I don't care if it's over in Africa. (coughs) Sorry, but get me out of here. And Wayne calls and uh, says, we're looking for a part-time youth pastor. And... uh, Basically, the rest is history. Uh, unbeknownst to maybe all of you, uh, y'all f- flew me out here to Pennsylvania from Kansas City. And uh, I attended uh, Alexis Roots Sweet 16. <laughs> that was my first encounter with uh, uh, some of the teens from the youth group. Uh, it was a sweet and precious time. Uh, that was that was eight years and two months, I guess, ago. Um, I, for the past eight years, you all have have loved, have poured in to Emily and I, and we appreciate that so much. Um, Emily and I have been seeking and praying about next steps for us. Uh, 
we believe that God is calling us uh, to pastor a small country church um, up on the mountain. I can say up on the mountain because it's up on the mountain. Uh, it's not too far from here. It's about a 35, 45, depending on how fast you drive, minute drive. Um, so it's on our zone. If you know anything about the Church of the Nazarene, uh, we have zones. Our district has zones. This is the Susquehanna Valley zone. There's a small country church called Fairview Mountain Church of the Nazarene. <coughs> Sorry, I there's a cold going around. Um, it is bet- it's up on a mountain, in the mountains, between Turbotville and Muncie. But, so I just wanted to, to share with you this morning that uh, Emily and I believe it's time and it's God's calling uh, that we, we transition uh, and uh, take up the reins at another church. Uh, we love you all. We know that we are loved. We know that for the past eight years, uh, this congregation has been family. This congregation has poured uh, time and, and effort and, and energy and into us and we to you all, and we love you all. Uh, so I'll be... Uh, Stepping away from my responsibilities here as as youth pastor, um, that so that's going to transpire uh, here in September. Our last Sunday with you all will be the last Sunday of August. Um, but I have uh, a little bit of a plan uh, leading up to this and sharing with the whole congregation. Um, if you have any questions, send them our way, send them my way. Uh, certainly pray for us. Uh, but we love you all. We're not disappearing. I will still be working in Mifflinburg High School as the clinical therapist there. Uh, we'll still be in the area. Um, but I just wanted to share that with you all this morning. Um, so yeah, also another person to field your questions would be pastor, um, if you have any of those. So uh, let me pray for us, and then I will, you're free to go for this morning. Gracious, loving God, we uh, thank you and we praise you for this day, Lord God. Lord, we, uh, we thank you that you meet us right where we're at. You're standing there and you're saying, come. Come, follow me. Lord God, help us with our relationship with you. Help us when we don't make time for you. Help remind us, Lord God, hey, I'm here waiting desire that relationship with you. Help us to learn how to nurture that, Lord God. Lord God, be with us as we leave this place. 
refreshed, refilled to the, be the people of your love. We love you. We praise you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. Uh, go in God's peace.